So we'll go ahead and jump into our message today. Um, so I, this is kind of a, a unique way for me to uh, introduce a message, but I just felt led to start it this way. So I'm going to read this story, and this whole story, my message is to take this whole start, this whole story, word by word, and give like pull all the meat out of it. So. This is Luke 10, verse 38, and it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, y'all say Mary, Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. Gotta love that. Martha, Martha. When you get your name spoken twice, like, you're in trouble, right? You are... Worried and troubled about many things, but y'all say one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So my message today is titled, One Thing is Needed. Now, I feel like uh, this message uh, applies to Whatever season of life that you are in, whether you are single, whether you are engaged, whether you are married, whether you have small children, whether you have teenagers, whether you're retired, whatever season of life that you are in, I think that you, we need to remember that one thing is needed. Now, we live in a culture and society where it's... But one thing, there's not a lot of one things anymore, you know? I spend three hours on Amazon purchasing headphones because there's not one headphone. There are multiple headphones, or if I'm trying to choose my cereal at the grocery store, there are so many options, and my point is there are so many things in life, and there's not many one things. But Jesus used this word exclusively to show that one thing that was needed. Not, you know, this is the third thing, but this is the one thing. So in this season, uh, as I was preparing for this message, um, I found myself kind of underneath my breath through different occasions um, because this came up in my heart is saying, one thing. Just one thing is needed. And so I'll show you what I'm talking about. These are my beautiful girls. Um, So this is Hannah Joy on the left. And um, she is 10 weeks. And this is Summer Grace on the right. And she will be two in December. And so what I'm talking about is the other night, it was a typical night with the young kids. Uh, 
little Hannah Joy, her stomach was bothering her, which has been a kind of a regular thing for us. And she's squirming around, and we have this miracle elixir. It's called gripe water. And uh, yes. And uh, so I'm, uh, Heidi is trying to console her and hold her still. And I'm trying to aim, you know, to aim it into her mouth. And while I'm doing this, um, Miss Summer Grace, Miss Independent, is, uh, is crying as well. So any of you that have two children around those ages probably know why Miss Summer Grace is crying. It's because she, both of Mommy and Daddy's attention is on Miss Hannah Joy, not on Summer Grace. And so... Both of them are crying. I, you know, it's late at night. I'm thinking about all the things that need to be done. I'm thinking about taking the trash out to the curb and cleaning up the kitchen from dinner. And all the while, screaming, two screaming children. One thing is needed. And I'm, I'm, I'm crying too at this point. Uh, no, but felt like crying. Uh, but one thing is needed for every situation and every circumstance. And so we find ourselves, you know, there'd be small or big things in our life, there is one thing that is needed. So to begin opening up this story to pull everything out of it, we will start with verse 39. And this verse, it says, And she had a sister called Mary, speaking about Martha, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So the first thing to pull from this is she sat, right? So it wasn't very uncommon for, for someone to sit while Jesus was teaching the Pharisees and the scribes and many people, they did, they sat and listened to Jesus teach. Um, but Jesus had something to say to some of them. Um, and he said, you have eyes to see, but you do not see. You have ears to hear, but you do not hear. For your heart has grown dull. And I've talked about this before that, the, in other translations, uh, this is, Jesus makes this response after the parable of the sower where he tells, essentially, he's speaking about how the word of God bears fruit in your life. And he says the reason that you're not getting it is it has to deal with your heart. And the heart, the thing about the heart is the hardening of the heart, or as the other translation, like I said, says callous, doesn't happen overnight, right? So like me, I, I love rock climbing. An important aspect of rock climbing is to have nice calloused hands, because if you don't, your hands will be sh shredded up and torn apart because they're not hard, and it doesn't you wish as a rock climber that you could climb once and you would have these nice calloused hands, but it doesn't work that way, does it? 
And the same applies to a heart that's hardened or a heart that's grown dull, is it's, it's one situation day by day that the heart can become hardened. But here's the thing about Mary sitting, right? Mary sat at where? Jesus' feet. And she, because she sat at his feet, she was able to hear his word. So Mary was up close and personal, right? How many of you, when you love something, it's like your passion, your thing that you love and you you just get so excited about how many of you are fanatics of something in your life, right? Cassidy Rose, yeah, she's like, yeah, me, I got tons of those. Um, but there are things in life that we want to be up close and personable, you know, personable for. We want to be right there where the action's happening. And, you know, it, back, back in my before Jesus days, um, Y'all might not know this. I was in a metal band. Yeah. Yeah. I was the lead singer. It was a garage band thing. The, this mohawk and thing. So um, there's forgiveness, okay? <laughs> um, but I would go to a lot of, uh, you know, concerts and shows. And you'd always see, you know, the right up against this metal gate fence, you know, where the stage is, you would, people would be crammed at that space, right? Why? Because it's their favorite band. Like, it's this group they love, they listen to every day. But I find it interesting, I found myself sometimes in that place, right up against there, just like, you know, trying to get everything I can out of the show. But it's interesting because I know some of those people like me, like I was very shy, very introverted, and the, they're like the most, the most, sometimes the most shy or introverted person can be in that place where they don't like to be around a bunch of people and all that, and they got a sweaty armpit in their face. I mean, you are all you're around a bunch of strangers that you don't know, and you're you're just all close together where you have to hold your arms like this. Why in the world would you go through that? It's because you are a fanatic about what is happening, right? You're fanatical about it. It's what excites you, it's what gives you passion. Some of you guys might have done that in school. You might have been the teacher's pet up front, you know. Nobody laughed at that. <laughs> but you sat up front because you wanted to make good grades. It's a good thing to do. Um, you know, I, I remember for me when, you know, I was in Bible college. Um, I graduated in 2012. And, you know, when I went into Bible college, my life had just been newly just uh, probably a year or two just of coming out of uh, years of addiction and just this just this life that didn't have uh, I didn't have purpose I didn't have direction and I came out of that and experienced the love of God in a way that just completely transformed my life and like 
And the only thing I wanted to do, because to me it was, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. You know, I grew up in a way in church where Jesus wasn't talked a lot about. God the Father, He was talked about a lot, but Jesus didn't really know much about Jesus. And when I experienced the love of God through the person of Jesus, it broke and delivered me from every chain of addiction just like that. And I wanted to um, I wanted to go to Bible college. I wanted to go like not seminary. Like I wanted I wanted to go somewhere that was just focused on the word of God. And because the word of God is what transformed my life and I just like I dev- in that season I just devoured the word like I would just read the whole entire Bible because I had to find out if everything I was hearing was true. And so when I went to Bible college, I was, I was always in the front row. I was always there in the front row because I had to receive everything that I could from what was being taught. And in that season of life, you know, I wrote... Jesus on every single page of my Bible. And that was just, a, it wasn't, I never knew anybody that ever did anything like that. But for me, it was just like this, from Genesis to Revelation, this whole entire book, every page is about Jesus. So I wrote Jesus on the top of every page as a way to remind me that it's all about him. And there was this, uh, you know, there there are things that can, when you're up front, that you can experience. And there was this one particular uh, speaker that they warned us about that said, listen, you know, if you sit up front for this guy, you might get a shower of spit. They said his teeth fell out once, so (laughs) he gets really excited when he preaches and his teeth will fall out. Said, all right, I'm in. The anointing's right there. Um, so my point is, you know, it's important to be up close and personal with Jesus, to be right there, you know. And Jesus wasn't wearing um, New Balance tennis shoes, you know. And so that's a very intimate thing, I think, for someone to do, probably especially in culture. For a woman to do, to be to sit at the feet of their rabbi. But, um, so Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, though, was a heart position, right? I want you to really pay attention to that. It was less about a physical location where she was and more about the posture of her heart towards Jesus, because anybody could create a formula out of anything. Well, you know, Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's seen all these miracles happen, you know. And be like, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's the place to go. But, you know, formulas don't work. They really not. Formulas do work. But when it comes to the things of God, there's not a formula to multiply a few loaves of bread and a few fish to feed 5,000. You're just not going to create a formula for that. If you try, you're going to be completely, you're going to nullify grace. And so Mary sitting at Jesus' feet was a heart position. 
So now we're going to talk about, y'all say Martha. Martha. Now Martha gets kind of the bad end of the stick, so to speak. And, it, you know, it's really people really harp on Martha, but I think people harp on Martha for the wrong things. I don't think this teaching is less about be a Mary, don't be a Martha. It's not about pointing out one person towards the other. I think the story is more about uh, giving us a conceptual truth to absorb uh, what we need to uh, integrate into our own lives. And so, um, so we're going to Martha. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Now, I know you have all have felt that in your own life. Lord, why are they just sitting there and I'm serving alone? Anyways, wrong attitude. If you're serving, do it ungrudgingly do it with all your heart. Therefore, tell her to help me. Verse 41, And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. So the reason I highlighted those two is because I believe that those two points are linked, right? So we're going to look at um, what a distraction is, okay? So a distraction, uh, as Strong's defines, is to drag around. I thought that was interesting. And so, like, in my mind, uh, when I first saw this definition, my mind went to somebody. Any horse riders in here? No? Yeah? Tammy? Uh, I don't know how this would exactly work, but I pictured somebody falling off a horse, and their leg getting caught by either the reins or rope or, or something of the saddle, um, you know, and them being dragged around. And that's kind of how I pictured when you're distracted, it's like the, you are not in control. You are at the will of a thousand plus pound animal and being drugged around. Distraction is a thing that prevents someone from giving their full attention to something. Pretty obvious, right? Distraction can be an extreme agitation of the mind or emotions. See, like when you're distracted, you're your emotions are up and down all over the place. And it's like this agitation. I mean, you know, if, if you ever try to tell somebody when they're, I mean, they are anxious, their anxiety is through the roof, and you try to be still, you know. <laughs> Sounds really great and good advice, but to be you. Those words do not penetrate the heart in that moment. You have to prepare your heart to be still. But if you're distracted, it's, it's as if those words have no place to penetrate your heart. You may know they're true, and you may know that's what you need to do, 
but because you're agitated of the mind and the emotions, it ain't going to happen. So <laughs> you better pray, you better do something. So one of the things I wanted to pull out with um, back with Martha is she was distracted with much serving. And I, I find that interesting that it says much serving because to me, to, to use the word much is to get kind of identify that it was needless preparations. She's, you know, cutting triangle-shaped apples. You know, she's doing needless food preparations for Jesus. She's, you know, she's fluffing the pillows, and I don't know, I'm not the right person to give all these examples, but she's doing needless things that, you know, I don't think that's what she's doing. That's my point. I don't think the reason that she is distracted with much serving is because, oh, we got to get the house ready, you know, Jesus is coming over, Mary, you got to have the house looking good, Got to have that candle going. No, I don't. I, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't buy that. I think this correlation to Jesus' response identifies to us why the reason that Jesus, or why Martha was distracted with much serving. It says Martha, Martha. When so he said her name twice. He's like, listen here. You are worried and troubled about many things. I don't think that's like a light, hey, Martha, you're worried, you're troubled. You know, get your act together. I think it's like, like you got something going on in your heart here. You need to, you need to reevaluate where you are and you need, to, you need to pay attention to your sister who's sitting at my feet. You know, as I was preparing for this message, I read a lot of commentary and Sometimes commentary won't help you much. Um, in some, <laughs> that's bad to say. There are things you need to have your own revelation of the word. Let me just say that. Uh, some commentaries will say that uh, the reason Martha was distracted with much serving goes back to the first uh, verse in this story, which uh, identified as they were in Martha's home, as if. To say that means that Martha's a homemaker. And if you read another account of Mary and John, it says that it was the town of Mary. So Martha's got a home and Mary's got a town. Meaning, and you know, they think that because Mary has a town, she's a social butterfly. That's her 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 personality tends to sit at the feet of Jesus. But Martha, her personality tends to do much serving. I don't buy it. I don't, even if that's true, I don't think that there's a personality for sitting at the feet of Jesus personally. I don't care what type of personality you are. As I gave the example earlier about the most shy and introverted person will be right there at the front of that stage being hammered by all these people who are sweating and they have no remorse for it. Okay? And so I don't think that it's a personality thing to sit at the feet of Jesus. I think it's a posture of 
the heart. And, you know, just for your own study, if you want to look more into the story of Martha and Mary, we're not going to go there, but you can read John 11, which that was kind of going to get to my next point. Y'all know who um, Martha and Mary were the sisters of, right? Lazarus. The, Lazarus, the man who had been dead for four days, and he was raised to life. So you can read more about uh, Mary and Martha in John 11 and John 12 and see some of the similar patterns that's happening. So my point to say all of this is to give you a my own personal opinion, my own hypothesis of why Martha was distracted with much serving and why Jesus had to say, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. My, um, my opinion is, if you look through the timeline, you do one of those harmo- the harmony of the Gospels and see, you can see how um, you can put all four Gospels together and you can see kind of where stories take place and how they overlap and all that stuff. And you can see that this story, it's not very long after this story that you actually run into John 11, where, you know, where you find out that Lazarus was very sick, right? And so here's, so my, my opinion is that the reason that Martha was troubled and worried about many things was because Lazarus was sick, right? Take it or leave it. It's my opinion, you know. But, you know, that, that seems like a, a rightful reason, right, to be, tr- you know, to be worried and troubled about many things and to be... It would make, to me, it would make sense why she was distracted with much serving as opposed to just wanting the house to be in order. I think she was going through a difficult season of life. But there's still a choice and there's still an option in the midst of each season that we enter and to choose that one thing. That I mean, Mary's the sister too, Right? <laughs> I mean, there's nothing special about Mary, but Jesus pointed out Mary, and I think he has, Jesus has compassion for Martha. I don't think this is a rebuke. I think this is Jesus saying, Martha, Martha, man, you are worried and troubled about many things, but your sister, I don't think it's like, oh yeah, my sister, Mary always sitting around. He's like, Man, if you can just see me in this situation, if you can just behold me and look at me, then this, all this agitation, this agitation of the mind or emotions could be completely vanquished. Now, I'm here not to tell you that distractions, we... I'm not going to pretend to say that you can completely eliminate distractions. I'm not saying that. That's kind of painting a, a, a rainbow-colored picture, whatever that means. Um, uh, but the point is that, you know, 
distraction can be an extreme agitation of your mind and emotions. So we're going to look at how some identifying, y'all want to identify some distractions. So yeah, what I'm saying is it's not about getting rid of distractions in your life. It's being able to, in the midst of distractions, being able to tune in to the truth, to the word, to, to be able to, in the midst of the distractions, when all, everything is going around, to see clearly, to change your position and see Jesus. And all this stuff is going around. The kids are crying. They're, all this stuff is happening, you know. But, but I see Jesus. He's wearing a Hawaiian T-shirt, and it looks awesome on him. But you see him clearly. You, you, you see him, and you don't let distractions get in the way of what is truth and what is real. So we're going to identify some distractions. Distractions are intruders. When's the last time you invited a robber or a thief to your house? Okay? Nobody. Intruders come unexpected, uninvited, right? They come when you're least not expecting it. And they are there to do what? To steal, to rob you. And so distractions, they're robbers, they're thieves. And Jesus had this to say about the thief. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before, before, before them. There's two befores. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So knowing God's voice will guard your heart from distractions. It'll keep you listening to the voice of a stranger. And a distraction is a stranger. It doesn't belong to you. you the agitation of mind and the emotions and the wavering of all those things, it doesn't belong to you. God's voice is always speaking and God is never silent. God will guard your heart from every distraction. Like I said, distractions will come, but knowing God's voice will guard your heart from them. Next distraction. Um, distractions are interferences. So just like as an interference works with trying to tune in to um, a certain station on your radio, which, you know, there are interferences, things... Trying to, trying to hinder and obstruct what we're trying to tune in. So I, drew, I, I made this really cool football illustration. Um, not really a huge football fan, but it just it fit with where I was and I was going in my heart. 
And so I'll explain this. So remember, distractions are interferences. So, and you have to remember, so the spirit, this circle right here, you have to remember as a believer that everything that belongs to Christ belongs to you. You have an inheritance, and when you receive Jesus into your life and you become born again, you receive the Holy Spirit. And in that spirit is everything that you need. Ephesians 1.3 says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That's past tense, meaning that when you received him, you received everything that belongs to him. Colossians 2.10 says that you are complete in him. That word complete means to cram full. Not, you don't got a little Jesus, a little spirit. You got all that you need on the inside of you that belongs to Jesus. He walked around with the Holy Spirit, healing all who are oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You carry that same spirit. You carry that same anointing. And so on the inside of you is everything that you will ever need to prosper in life. Everything. Lacking nothing. We have everything that we need right here. That we don't have to call it down. We don't have to do that. Right here on the inside of you. And so this spirit is like the perfect quarterback. He never gets sacked. He's, uh, his position is always good. His passes are passed with 100% precision. He never overthrows. He never throws it short. He's always in the right position to throw the pass. Now the soul and the slash heart, because we got to get what's in our spirit into our soul slash our heart, our emotions, our mind, this place that we live from, this place where we draw our identity from, the things that we believe about ourselves, you best believe that you got to get what the Spirit of God is on the inside of you to your soul, to your emotions. Well, I don't believe that. Well, <laughs> there is more than enough peace. There's more than enough joy. It's on the inside of you. We have to believe this. And so God, the football, he is throwing his truth. He is throwing his word. And the soul and the heart is the wide receiver. And there's all these distractions around. You know, as the, the parable of the sower in Mark 4 says, you know, deceitfulness of riches or cares of this world and fear and worries. And you can name a whole lot of defenders and distractions that are keeping the word from being able to be received. Now here's the truth. Is the problem with the spirit? Is the problem with the quarterback? If he's perfect, where's the problem lie? It lies with the receiver but here's the reason why. It's because of his position. See, you have to position yourself in order to receive 
what God is trying to freely give us. And that position, it's all about position. You know, I shared in the first service about how I grew up playing basketball, and one of the things I could not stand, just it was one of those agitations of the mind and emotions. I couldn't stand somebody who just stood still, right? You know, I, one of the positions I played a lot was the point guard, which was the position to where you are delivering passes. And one of the things I couldn't stand was somebody to stand still because if you're standing still, you're not getting open. You're not moving around. And so I'm like, move, do something. Quit standing there. Move around. And so in life, we, gotta, we have to move. If we're sitting on the same thing that we've been doing for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, trying the same thing and it ain't working, move. Move your position. These, these you know, the enemy, he's a fool, but he's, he's cunning. And, and these defenders, they're just, you're not moving. Well, we're, we, we, got, we got you figured out. So it's the position your heart. Position your heart where you can be a receiver. And we're going to talk about how you position your heart to receive. Like you have to believe that God, I mean, that's one of the important things that we always preach about is the character of God. He is good. He's a good, good father. And every perfect and good gift comes from him. And he's always, always, he's not an author of bad things and, and sickness. He's not an author of any of those things in our life. He's an author of only good things in our life. And he's always trying to give us his truth and his word that are going to bring us health and bring us life for whatever situation that we are in. Third thing, distractions are diversions. You know, I heard it said once that if you want to destroy a man's vision, you give him two. You know, you can have some really good things in your life that you're moving towards. But I think that God is saying one thing is needed. Let the vision be singular in your heart. Because as long as you have these multiple ideas and visions, you're divided. And that's the plan, that's the, the, the role of a distraction is to, um, to get your full attention off of what need, where it needs to be. Deuteronomy 5.33 says this in the New Living Translation. It says, Stay on the path that the Lord your God has commanded you to follow. Then you will live long and, and have prosperous lives in the land you are about to enter and occupy. He's talking about the promised land. Like, hey, do not get distracted again and do another 40 years here. <laughs> okay? 
don't do do the rerun of the 40 years of wandering around the wilderness when my plan from the very beginning was for you to go straight in. But because you looked at the giants and you looked at yourselves as just puny little grasshoppers, you completely missed out on the plan that God had for your life. So a whole generation missed out on the very plan that God had for them, which was to walk into a land that was flowing with milk and honey, houses provided for everything they need. The promised land is a picture of what Jesus has provided at the cross. Everything that we need has already been provided for us. He has paid for it. It is finished. It's final. It's been delivered. Proverbs 3.6, New Living Translation says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Make a spiritual habit of acknowledging Jesus. You know, it's, it's, we're singular. Jesus talks about that, you know, in the midst of the Beatitudes, to have your eye singular, to, to see him, to see his truth, to see his love, to see his light. You know, it says the word of God is a lamp unto our feet. You got that word, it's, it's got to be in here. It's got to be in our hearts that it can be a lamp and a guide to our feet to keep us, to keep us not from diverting to the left or to the right, but being singular and staying focused and walking the path that God has laid before us. So we live in a time where distractions, it seems as though they're constantly in our face. As you all know, we have smartphones, we have smart TVs, we have smart toasters, we have smart (laughs) ovens, we have social media, we have music, and headphones that can, oh, that's a whole nother story. It really, it bothers me sometimes to see, you know, a generation sometimes they, it's just always have to have something in their ear. Because there are things that we're missing out on, we're distracted. And I think sometimes the noise in life I think that we fear silence sometimes. You know, there used to be a a show growing up. It was called, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I think that it's the question now is, are you afraid of the silence? And and I I think one of the reasons that we are afraid of the silence is because when things are silent, 
that gives time for what's on the inside of you to begin to emerge. We live in a time, you know, I don't think anything is new under, new under the sun, but I think the body of Christ as a whole is ill-equipped um, to be able to be equipped to handle when those emotions and those feelings emerge. So I think what we do, you know, we do think little things, really small things that seem insignificant, but it's over a period of time. We get in our car, the first thing we do is turn on the radio. Um, uh, we're just wanting this, we're just wanting some noise to happen. We turn on the TV, we don't even care what's on. Just have some noise, you know. Um, or we go to bed, we just go to bed, falling asleep to the TV going. And this may not be for you, but it's just an observation that, you know, what if we have that noise on, and it's a subconscious thing that we don't want to deal with our stuff. We don't want to deal with pain. We don't want to deal with grief. We don't want to deal with emotions instead of doing the one thing that is needed. You know, your brain it goes into this state of it's called the alpha waves. This is a meditative state um, that you, you tend to go into before you fall asleep. And, and it's scientifically, they have, I guess they've been able to, in this state, your brain will slow down to half the speed. And it's interesting how that works, that when your brain slows down enough, the, the intentions and the emotions and the feelings that are in your heart can begin to emerge. You hear what I'm saying? And I think why having this word planted in our hearts and having it rooted and grounded in our lives is not just a hearsay or just a nice suggestion, but it's for when that silence comes and those feelings and thoughts and those emotions emerge, you are equipped to say, no, you don't belong here. I, I, I do not take ownership of you. I, I, I put those things off and I put on the new man that is created in righteousness and true holiness, that the joy of the Lord is my strength and that the peace of God will guard my heart from every situation. And you, I, you identify with your new per, the new creation of who God has made you to be in spirit and in truth. Because we don't have that equipping, that, that arsenal, that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And every word that comes against me, I shall condemn. Because we're not equipped with the Word of God. We shove those things that are eating at us and tearing us apart, 
creating, like I said, extreme agitation of the mind and the emotions. But church, we need to grow up and we got to deal with our stuff. Because we are, whether we recognize it or not, we are living out what we believe on the inside of our hearts. And we have to position our hearts. But here's the truth. It is God's unconditional, unmerited love and grace and his influence that is always trying to guide us like like a father guides a child by the hand and guide us into his love and in his embrace because in that place when you know that you are loved without a shadow of a doubt and what he says or she says it don't matter it doesn't mean a thing because my God says that I'm more than a conqueror. He says that I'm his beloved. He says I, I am pleased with him. Man, when you have that on the inside of you, you've let that become your identity, that you believe it with every part of your being. You wake up, man, I'm loved by Jesus. You know, when I first experienced the love of God, I couldn't help but wake up and dance. Just dance. I'm not a dancer, so it didn't look good. <laughs> but I was so thrilled. Nothing had happened externally. Nothing in my life outwardly had changed in my circumstances. I didn't have a job. I didn't have, I didn't have transportation. I didn't have direction. I didn't have nothing changed, but the thing that changed to me was the revolution, the revelation of my identity about who my father said that I was. And when that got when I when when that got sealed in my heart, I'm like, why am I living this way? <laughs> why am I letting these emotions drive me about? Why am I letting all this stuff come against me? It's because I didn't know who I was, and the love of God will position your heart to completely, all those defenders and distractions, it'll move you into a position where, bam, pass received, touchdown, Super Bowl. And it belongs to us. We got to be empowered with this truth. So Luke 10, 42, but one thing, y'all say one thing, one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her, and that's, that's the final truth there, that when you choose this one thing, when you let go of the guilt of the past, let go of shame, and you let Jesus take it, and you make him the center focus of your life, when you choose that one thing to be seated at his feet, nothing can take it away from you. Nothing. 
not what someone says, not what happens with your job, not what happens how much money's in your bank account. Nothing. Nothing can take it away from you. It's having an eternal perspective on life that is more real than what we, what we see, taste, hear, smell. Eternal truth, truth is infinitely more real than what you see. And it can only be experienced through the heart. And so I would challenge all of us that we, as, as a family of brothers and sisters, would rise to the occasion to do the one thing that is needed. That I pray that through the rest of today and the rest of this week, when you face a challenging situation, that you're just like, one thing is needed. One thing is needed. And you position your heart right back, right back to where it belongs. You know? Like the prodigal son coming home to a father, you know, who gave him everything, and he's out in the pig slop. And the father wanted him all along. And he had a nice speech prepared, but it didn't, the, the father didn't want to hear it. He didn't need to hear a word of it. He said, I got a robe for you. I got a fatted calf. We're going to have a party. We're going to have a good old time. You know, the position your heart, the position of your heart ultimately needs to be at the end of you. Because as long as it's about you, you're not positioned. You're not positioned to receive what God has for you. And that's his love and his grace and his mercy and everything that is good. So one thing is needed. <laughs> I love the gospel. It's simple. It's not hard. It's simple, and it's so practical that it's, that's what makes it challenging sometimes. You mean one thing? You mean only one thing is needed? Yeah, one thing. That's it. One thing. Sit at his feet, for he loves you. He cares about you. He desires to have this uh, radical intimacy with you. That's who he is. He's love. He's love. If you're not experiencing love, you need to position yourself closer to him. So, Father, we just thank you. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your heart. We thank you for your love. God, we just thank you for how good you are. Thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for helping us to be able by your spirit and by your guidance be able to, to have our ears open to your wisdom, open to your strategies on how to position our hearts to a place of receiving, that we can do that one thing 
that is needed 